when citizens show up and have a unified voice and message, it is we who can create change. We have to, as voters, hold our elected officials accountable. We can no longer allow our students, our education system, our profession to be used simply to get elected. That's Kaylin Evans. He's the president-elect of the Washoe Education Association. That's the group that represents more than 3,500 teachers in Washoe County. Evans said he hopes to take the association in a more active direction under his tenure. In this show, we talk about what he hopes to accomplish, the union's endorsements for school board candidates, and the challenges facing the school district. We also talk about the future of public education in Washoe County. For This Week in Reno News, I am Bob Conrad with ThisIsReno.com. Thank you to this show's sponsor, the Truckee Meadows Water Authority, here with this message. Summertime conservation is standard at Truckee Meadows Water Authority. It's what we do. And this year we can all prevent waste by keeping sprinklers off between noon and 6. Get your conservation reminders and more at smartaboutwater.com. Kaylin, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so right now I'm an educator in Washoe County. Um, I am currently the president-elect for the Washoe Education Association, and I will f- step into that role full-time uh, mid-July. What does the Education Association do exactly? So the Education Association is the um, collective bargaining arm of all teachers, uh, counselors, and deans in our school district. So we collectively bargain with the district in terms of worker rights, uh our contract, everything that's in that contract from pay raises to working conditions, those are things that we're going to bargain for with the district. Uh, and then we also represent our members in any sort of grievance hearings, um, things that might happen within the school where teachers need support or representation, um, be it through the association or legal terms, uh, we do all that. Okay. Well, th- thank you for the, the background. Um, what prompted you to go from teaching, you said you've been teaching 10 years yeah. now, into this sort of more kind of advocate, public advocacy role. Yeah, you know, well, I got into advocacy work um, a few years ago through a nonprofit organization that I started called Empower Nevada Teachers. Um, I started that because the public education in Nevada historically has um, really struggled and it's been exacerbated over the last decade or so. Um, due to just an overall lack of funding and resources, along with just increased cost of living over the last decade here in Reno. And you're seeing it really start to unfold in terms of our ability to have a high-functioning education system. I would say that if you're from Nevada, um, you know, unfortunately, education, well, high-quality education in Nevada are not synonymous. And that's an issue, right, for me. I mean, I think personally, just as a father, as a member of the community, um, understanding the importance of education and how that shapes the 
young people and overall our community as a whole, um, it struggled. And so I was seeing a need for activism. I was seeing a need and feeling as if educators' voices weren't really being respected and heard. Um, so I started down that advocacy route um, through my own nonprofit. And then that kind of led me to work parallel with the association, um, both state and local on just different um, initiatives throughout the state in terms of how we can support education. And ultimately I felt that there was a really big need for us to change the culture and direction of the association from within. And so I had an opportunity to run and a lot of support from our members and a lot of support from educators across the district to run and felt like I could really do something to start to change it because ultimately you know, I felt that in order for us to bring about real changes in the school system, in our district and in our state, we had to bring about real changes in the association. What, uh, and this is one of the questions that I have here is, uh, how, how is your leadership going to be different from your predecessors, the folks that came before you at the Education you know, Association? Absolutely. I think what is, what's actually a benefit of mine is, you know, I'll be the first um, person to serve as president of the WEA that didn't currently serve on the board. Um, you know, people might look at that as, oh, there's a lack of experience. And I look at that as there's a different perspective that I can bring to the association. Um, I haven't been entrenched in what they've been doing for years. So I also don't come with kind of the same traditions or tactics or messaging that they do. Um, I really feel like in order for us to bring about real rights for our members and not just our members, but all teachers, because whether they're members of the association or not, we represent them, right? Like we, our contract uh, goes for all teachers in the school district. We have to change um, the kind of the underlying culture. And what I mean by that is there's a couple different things, you know, in, in my opinion, traditionally leadership of the association has kind of looked at our relationship with the district um, as a bit subservient, as if we should just be grateful that we are allowed to exist, right? Because we are an association with the school district. Um, it's very similar to a union, um, but there's some slight differences where, you know, so given that we're an association, we're in partnership with the district, we, you know, traditional leadership has always taken the idea of, okay, well, we're going to push, but we're not going to push too hard because we, you know, we don't want to ruffle any feathers. We don't want to rock the boat. Like we need to be working partners. Now, of course, we want an amicable working relationship with our school district. That's without question. But at the end of the day, if we're not getting the working rights and conditions that are suitable for our educators, we have to put our foot down and we can't just say it through, you know, talking about it, right? We can't just say this is an unacceptable. And then when it continues, we just go back to doing what we've always done, right? We might complain about it and go back to work. We have to do more, right? So we have to let our members know that we are willing as an association to really stand up and draw lines in the sand and, and, and not allow them to be crossed without us, you know, stepping up to the plate and, and doing what we need to do as an association, right? Like organized labor has certain tools to, at their disposal, but that they can use to bring about changes and nobody can look at the education system. And, you know, we can argue about uh, variables of the education system, right? We might have difference of opinions on how things are implemented, but if you look at just black and white in terms of how education is funded and how it is served in our community. Nobody can argue that it's being adequately funded. You know, Nevada, we're 50th in school finance. We're 47th in per pupil funding, which is the amount of money that every student, you know, that we receive per student to service them. Um, you know, we have the largest class sizes in the country. One of the highest, uh, um, uh, one of the lowest teacher retention rates, right? So we have a huge turnover um, in, in, in teachers. And so all of these uh, metrics 
point to the fact that we don't value education in Nevada the way that we should. And ultimately that falls back on the working conditions of teachers. And I noticed this week uh, that in Clark County, they raised uh, teacher salaries. Why hasn't that been done here in Washoe County? And it's kind of a two-part question because we're constantly, for about a year now, we've been hearing about the school district's inability to uh, retain, I assume, teachers, but also uh, bus drivers and nutrition staff in particular. Yeah. Uh, why, why hasn't Washoe County raised uh, salaries? You know, that's a great question. I mean, I think the answer, you know, I try to, when I give an answer, would think what would they say, right? And they're going to say, well, out of the whole state being as low funded as we are as a state, you know, uh, Washoe County is the lowest per pupil funding, right? Um, but even with that, you know, it's, you know, I, I can't really answer for them, right? I, I think that there are, we have put millions of dollars into education in the thought of, you know, whether it's, curriculum adoption or assessment programs, um, you know, with well-intended, um, with, with good intentions, right? Like, you know, they're, they're funding these things thinking that these were going to be the things that will help cho uh, close achievement gaps. But what they fail to understand is it doesn't matter how high tech our schools are, or, you know, our one-to-one -one ratio of technology, or if we're able to hire, you know, additional support staff or this amazing curriculum, or, you know, we spend millions of dollars on these uh, assessment programs and, and standardized testing. At the end of the day, we can't even get our kids to school because we can't afford bus drivers, right? So like, what does it matter? All of these other things, these kind of bells and whistles that we're trying to implement when we don't have a teacher in the classroom. I mean, we have dozens of classes across our district and, you know, most of the community doesn't know that they're not even being taught by a certified teacher. We have long-term subs that have to take these positions um, that we've put in there. They're being paid a fraction of the price, right? So there's obviously some salary savings by the district. I just wrote a lengthy email to the school board and superintendent just the other day, bringing up these exact same things saying, you know, Clark County is rate Like they understand the, the critical need that we're at. If we cannot bring new professionals and quality professionals into the, into teaching, um, nothing else really matters right now. And so them raising the rate, uh, the starting salary, but then also giving retention bonuses because teachers are leaving in there. And, you know, with such a competitive, um, labor market right now, uh, teachers have more options than they ever have. And I think teachers are starting to really understand their value, right? That they are highly qualified professionals. That while they have a, a passion for teaching, that passion is not going to put uh, food on the table. It's not going to pay their bills. So while they are passionate about working with youth, it gets to the point where it doesn't matter how, how you know, how, how much love they get from teaching. They can't afford to live. They can't afford their rent. They can't afford those things. So they can go find another high paying, highly competitive job um, uh, with great working conditions and then not have to deal with all of the other struggles and strife that come with teaching in these working conditions. And again, I mentioned class sizes, you know, having the largest class sizes in the country, I can't underscore enough how important or how critical that issue is because it's a working condition, right? That, that dramatically impacts both the educators and the students in the classroom. So all of these factors, you know, and so why they need to, I mean, without question, I think the school district really needs, so we have all these ESSER fund money. This is fund, uh, you know, um, money from the federal government from the COVID response. And, you know, they need to be looking very closely at how they're using that money. And in my opinion, reevaluate where those funds are going. Because again, you know, we can, you know, hire, 
I was just telling somebody, it's like, we're putting a lot of money into summer school and winter session, which yeah, we need kids are behind because of COVID. Absolutely. It's not going to mean anything that a kid goes to summer school. If next year they don't have a teacher in their classroom when they start the school year. Right. So we have critical needs and we need to really prioritize those things. And there's a lot of them right now, having human beings in the building to get your kids to school, to clean up the schools, to feed your kids, to teach your kids, to, uh, um, to keep your kids safe. Like all of those things need to be the top priority right now. What, what are you, you've mentioned the word working conditions, as you know, I've done a lot of reporting on the school district and a lot of the administrative and personnel issues, um, and some pretty striking cases. Uh, what is your opinion about how things have been in the last few years? Um, you know, I think it, it's been, it's been challenging, right? Because there's a lot of factors when we think about how, you know, with the superintendent challenges that we've had earlier and then them transitioning to McNeil and then she kind of taking over right as COVID hit. And I mean, who's going to be able to, to understand how to navigate COVID, right? Like that was just something that I think was, you know, you're kind of putting anybody in a situation to fail in that sense. And, um, you know, I think the the issue that we're finding is that we're starting to see some of the residual effects of COVID right now, especially with student behavior. Student behavior and violence is at an all-time high, and that's an extreme working condition. And so you have a lot of teachers that are reaching out to their administrators, and then those administrators are reaching out to the district, and they're saying, like, we need help. Like, we we don't have the resources. We don't have the uh, infrastructure at the school to house some of these, like, severe behavior students. Um, and then, then it kind of comes back on the district where – they don't have the resources, right? Like the district at the end of the day is coming back to schools and saying, you know, like, okay, well, you know, we don't have the answers to this either. So it kind of seems as if it's just being passed along to a degree. And ultimately that buck's going to stop at the teacher, right? So we'll, we'll have students in, in these classrooms that need additional support. They need, um, they need the type of support that, uh, uh you know, uh, classroom teacher can't necessarily provide them given the fact that they have all these other responsibilities, but then we don't have those, right? Like we don't have enough social workers. We don't have enough behavioral specialists. We don't have enough, um, SIP programs, which are programs for students who just need additional structure and support for behavior. Like we don't have enough of those services. Um, and so it ends up really creating a working condition that in my opinion, and and many others that isn't acceptable. And that's what's so it's like cost of living through the roof stagnant uh, uh, teacher salary pay, um, inflation through the roof, behaviors going crazy, not feeling that the district is able to, I mean, whether they're trying, I mean, like, I'm not, I don't want to say that insinuate that they're not trying, but if they don't have the resources, right, then that all is going to fall back. You factor all those things, there's no reason to keep teaching, right? Like there's no, there's nothing to keep teachers in the classroom anymore. And that's the big issue that we're running into. Talk a little bit about, and we, you and I spoke a week or so ago um, about this um, community pressure from really the far right sort of conspiracy theorist contingent. Mm-hmm. There's sort of this underground, although very vocal and very public, but it's a you know it is a pretty slim minority at the end of the day of of people trying to take over school boards at the local level. You've seen this in. Elko, Clark County, Washoe County, um, what's happening and what's your perspective of it, both as a teacher now and then 
going into the WEA? Yeah, I mean, on you know, I don't like to throw the term around lightly, but it's scary in the sense that you have people who are running for public office that will have a, a direct impact on the the you know the education profession and our students who are I don't even know like lack of a better terms just in many ways crazy I guess you could say in the sense that I'm all for having a difference of opinions like we can be critical of the school district we can be critical of education as a whole and I will have an honest conversation and, and I have my critiques of education as a whole and how it's done both nationally at the state level and at the district I myself have been very critical of the district and decisions that they make and that's not what we're saying but what we are seeing is people who are outright lying they're coming into school boards um, uh, meetings and they are making things up and they're making up very hateful divisive and hurtful things and they're spreading they're slandering the school district they're slandering teachers and it's not founded and so for somebody who's in the arena like myself right who, who's been in education who obviously is well versed in, in, in understanding you know district and state policies and how you know all, how all these things inner workings work when I come and I'm critical I'm, I'm speaking at least as much as I can from a place of, of knowing right of understanding um we have people who have no idea what's going on in the classrooms who are saying and speaking as if there's these certainties um, of, of really just bad crazy. I don't know if I can say that. I'm sorry. Um, stuff in these school boards, right? That we are, you know, sexualizing our kindergarten students by teaching them share in, in kindergarten that we like, like stuff that is so beyond the pale of like, reality that you, I can't even then begin to meet you halfway, right? Like if, if you think that we are over here indoctrinating your first graders to not understand like whether they're male or female, like I, I, where do we even have a middle ground to start saying, okay, I think that there's legitimate concerns. Okay, great. Let's have a conversation about those concerns and how can we better educate our students? We have people that are, you know, this whole idea of CRT and it's this boogeyman and you know, like, Oh, CRT, CRT, who's teaching CRT? Like does anyone actually teach it in no. Northern Nevada? Yeah, like, like at, anywhere. At UNR, right? This isn't. This isn't any. This isn't even in the realm of being taught anywhere K through twelve education, right? Like, let alone most likely even college. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> so it's this this whole idea that you know that this and it's just it's just. They're fear mongering, right? No one really knows what CRT is, but I know if I say it, and there's people that have issues with some of the social uh, um, um, issues in our country, which again, we can have those discussions, right? But they have to be based in reality. And so when we talk about those things, we have people who are, that are running for school board that I really, you know, I'm hoping that your listeners are hearing. It, there's an organization called Save WCSD. Look them up. Google Save WCSD. If any of those people are running in your district and you care at all about uh, just our education system, our students are educated, you should not vote for any of those people because they are completely, um, you know, weaponizing social issues um, to without factual without fact yeah exactly yeah. completely baseless right and that's the that that's the tricky part that's not just the tricky part that's the really unfortunate part because then while it is a 
minority for sure of the population, they're a loud minority. And when you say things over and over and over, and if you have people who aren't educating themselves about what's going on, they go, well, is CRT being taught or what is going on? What's the share program going on? Like, what are these social, like, what are we doing to our kids? Like all of a sudden it it starts to pick up, uh, you know, it it can start to snowball because people unfortunately aren't really taking the time to, to find out whether or not this is actually going on and having those conversations. So yeah, I mean, these school board races are extremely important, right? We have four incumbents that are that are running Beth Smith, um, Joe Rodriguez, Adam Mayberry, and Ellen Minetto. Um, all four of them need to be reelected. Um, and it, you know, so if you're in those districts, those are nonpartisan. Um, races. So everybody, Republican, Democrat, independent, everybody gets to vote on those in our community. And if you have any four of those in your district, which there's a good chance you do, um, you need to, you know, please, please vote, vote in the primary. And are those the official um, WEA endorsements as Mm -hmm. well? Yeah, those. And why is that? Well, I think if, well, in regards to, to Joe, well, I don't, okay. In regards to all of them, you know, Joe, Beth, Adam, they are extremely responsive to educators and on a personal level too. Like anytime you have teachers reaching out to them with concerns, they are not just giving the lip service of, Oh, you know, thank you for reaching out and we're going to look into it, blah, blah, blah. No, like tell me exactly what's going on. And then following up with those things and making sure that they're talking to the superintendent, that there's talking to the area superintendents to make sure that issues are being addressed and that, that they're really listening and then following through with actions. So those, those ones, especially that are running, um, and that's the biggest thing too. So you have these, you know, like a, they're very pro educator in the sense of like supporting what we're doing, but then also their opponents are the, are the ones that we were talking about with the save WCSD. So, I mean, to, it's really, you know, it's a no brainer in terms of the endorsement side for do- both WEA and NSCA, which is our state, um, association. Uh, but it's, you know, school board races have never been this important. And as you were saying, like we're seeing across the country where school boards are coming under attack. Um, and, it's, and it's happening right now where people that are kind of coming into our community um, from the out, from not local as well, which is important to understand too. The people think about, oh, these people from California coming. Like, no, like these people from California too are coming in and, and trying to run for these school board pieces, like to get people active and fear monger across our community. Um, so those groups are not, they're not local. They're not from here. They don't, they weren't born and raised here. So there's definitely almost like a mentality of like, just kind of like, let's burn the whole thing down and start from scratch versus no, Hey, let's look at the issues that we have and let's work together to address them. Um, and the fear is that if, if one of those, if somebody else gets on the school board, um, along with uh, the current trustee church, all of a sudden we're going to spend very valuable time and resources talking about things like CRT that aren't actually even being taught, right? Like we're going to be talking about the boogeyman instead of talking about legitimate issues. And that's the concern that all of a sudden we aren't focused on the fact, uh, collectively focused on the fact that we are one of the lowest funded school districts in the entire country, right? Like that's, that is a real issue that is going to impact every student and every person in our community. Ultimately, that's what we need to be talking about. Not these other issues that aren't issues at all that are completely fabricated in order for, you know, kind of to distract us to a degree. So yes, that answers the question. 
Talk about Empower Nevada t-shirts, teachers. What happened with that? There was a change. You changed the name or what, what's, what's uh, You know, happened? we just, we, we didn't change the name. The nonprofit still has the name. We changed the, you know, we had a, 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 we have a really large Facebook group. We changed the name of the group because what was happening was, you know, when people were on social media, you know, like if, if they're in, in that social media group, in that Facebook group, um, they don't necessarily represent us as a board um, or the active membership. They're just a random person that's in that group, right? And then they'll say something or they'll do something or they'll post something. And then it kind of ends up being associated with us uh, indirectly. And so we felt that it was in, important to change the name in order for us to kind of be able to keep our own autonomy. And so that not everything that was said was immediately good or bad. It was like, oh, well, they said it in the group, then that must be our position. Well, no, that wasn't our position. It wasn't anybody from our board or myself that said it. It was just, you know, somebody. And, and, and unfortunately, as you know, social media is a very toxic environment. It can be used in a constructive way, but ultimately I would say more so than not, we end up, especially when you're dealing with issues that are very um, passionate to individuals, um, it just becomes toxic. Um, the way that education has been over um, the last few years going through this pandemic and going through all these issues within Nevada, um, it's a tough time to be a teacher. And so you had a lot of, you had a lot of negativity, you had a lot of people venting, a lot of frustrations and that sort of culture and climate, we didn't want to be associated with us directly. And so we decided to change that. One thing I remember, um, in the last couple of years was, um, uh, one former school board trustee, who had set up a fake profile to be a member of the group to monitor the conversations that appeared. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and that definitely happens. And so the group is still, you know, the, the group's still there. Um, it's, it's an open platform. You know, we wanted to provide a space um, that teachers could come together, that they could share resources, that they could share things that are going on um, and kind of just kind of have that more sense of community. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, it can be used in, it can get used in that term weaponized in a lot of ways. I mean, we know, we understand that and all teachers should understand all school district employees, your social media, are being monitored, right? Like, just just be aware of that. And so it's not that they're in that group or not. Like, you know, you need to be thoughtful in terms of what you're putting out there because you have, you know, professional conduct that you need to stay within in terms of your contract. So, you know, we understand that there were people on via social media. And then, yeah, with that particular trustee who, you know, was creating fake accounts and then, and then kind of commenting on, you know, uh, getting in arguments with people, uh, on his own burner account to, you know, go over these issues. But, um, Fortunately, we have been able to kind of separate ourselves from that in terms of the nonprofit piece. And a lot of our active members have become very active with the association now. And that was kind of how we've been able to transition from being, you know, a nonprofit group and kind of this, you know, active group of, uh, of teachers um, to then being able to have, you know, have a, a number of representatives, school representatives within the the WEA, and now myself um, as the president, and, and and we brought in a lot of really passionate, smart um, individuals. Our board is almost entirely new, um, so it's exciting right now because we have people who um, we have experience still on the board, but we also have a lot of new people that are bringing in that fresh perspective um, and willingness to do things differently. And that's what we have to do. We have to do things differently because this idea that, you know, education is 
going to magically fix itself here in Nevada. Um, it's just not the case. And it's going to be through kind of more radical changes that we can do that. How are you going to pursue more funding? Are you going to be really engaged with the legislature? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's where it starts, right? We have to start at the legislative level, um, which is right around the corner. Um, So it's our big thing is we have to be able to activate our member base. Um, Traditionally, the WEA, while we might have a lot of members, um, we're not we haven't been able to in the past get them as active. But I also think in, in, a lot of wor- in a lot of ways, it's because of the tactics that leadership has taken. You know, like the past leadership has done all that they can. You know, they put the work in, they've put the effort. That's not without, you know, that's without question. So I'm not at all trying to be, you know, critical in that sense. I think that there's just a difference of opinions in terms of how uh, we can bring about change and what's necessary to bring about change. Um, you know, if I'm a member of, uh, of a labor union and my labor, and I think that my leadership isn't willing to take any steps necessary to bring about change, that doesn't inspire me really to get active, right? I, I might still be a member. That's fine because I want that insurance policy. I want, you know, if I run into an issue with the school district or my administrator or something that I know that I'm going to have my association that's there to support me. Right. And that's important piece because that happens. You know, there's 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 definitely a value in having the association for that reason. But if that's the only reason you're a member is for that kind of quote unquote insurance policy. You're ne- we're never going to get our membership active, right? We need members that believe in us. They believe in the premise of collective bargaining and collective action. They believe in laborized unions. Like they believe in that. And then we, we inspire them by showing them the changes that we can make together. And when we start to, you know, not just talk the talk, which we haven't done, we don't even talk the talk, but then actually start following it up with actions. Um, then we're going to inspire our members to become more active. And then we're going to inspire non-members because we are a right to work state to join. And the more that we're able to get people to join and back us, then the more power that we'll have to bring about the changes we need. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime. Yeah, please keep us updated. We will. Appreciate it. That's it for this week in Reno News. Please visit us online at thisisreno.com. And if you are able to, please subscribe to support locally owned independent journalism.